How do you do? Mr. Carl Lindley feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Hey everyone, welcome to Horror Haven Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm Sierra. I'm Erica. And today we're doing our second part of our Century of Horror episodes. Uh, we're going to be talking about the 1930s, so a lot of universal monsters, as well as the Great Depression. <laughs> that's, that's it. It's a fucking wrap. Great Depression. No, um, the Great Depression, censorship, Definitely World censorship, War II, yeah. how all that stuff affected. The Nazis. How it affected the Nazis? Killing <laughs> yeah. No, wait, the Nazis, yeah, but the Nazis are part of it. Like, the move of expressionism from Germany to yeah. America. So, yeah, we'll be talking about Nazis. Killing Nazis. Nazis. So, enjoy the episode. So, last week on our first part of our show, we uh, talked about the 19... 19- the 1890s to the 1920s and the silent era of horror. So with the 1930s, you start to get speaking in film. And um, one thing that people don't really realize or jump to is um, when you hear a film's not a silent film, you're automatically like, okay, there's talking. But one another thing that they added in was sound effects. And that played a big part in horror at the time because uh, they added like creaking doors and thunder and yeah think about frankenstein and... yeah lots of sound effects exactly. in that film well you had brought up too uh when you were doing research that they didn't want to put music didn't they not was it in dracula they didn't put music into they didn't want to put music they, they were concerned about putting music into into talking films because they felt that it would be confusing to the audience um, why there was music playing, but no explanation of where the music was coming from. Really? Which is yeah. interesting because now it's just like a normal yeah, it's thing. Normal, now yeah. if there's not music in a movie, it it's really, really weird. Yeah. Or it's like a really intense scene and it makes sense, but like It reminds me, have you ever seen those videos of like uh like they take the music out of stuff and it's just really fucking awkward? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, I just like picture movies without music weird but it's probably it's it's funny too because i don't even think you really notice how much music is in the background at movies. well like whenever i think of that like i think of like suspiria and mm-hmm. like it follows where like it was so reliant on its soundtrack yeah mm-hmm. that it was more so about like visuals okay, all and I'm like saying, though, is the like, sounds and stuff like picture, that but... picture the superhero movies without sound effects <laughs> picture um <laughs> Picture, like, Halloween without the background music, and it's just, like, you don't even get the... You just see, like, Michael peeking around the fucking corner. 
like no reason why you can like hear his footsteps like you don't hear the din din it it's just like fucking people walking down the fucking road that would be really weird so um yeah but the sound effects were really important at the time to get added in um another big thing just kind of glancing over the the decade and then we'll go into detail about it is um of course monster movies reign supreme throughout the whole decade specifically universal yeah um we'll talk a little bit about that um and it's funny too because you we will get some films at this time that were more realistic that weren't received as well so freaks um they with the silent era we talked about how literary literary classics were like the go-to for um like adapting into film and they did continue this um Dracula Frankenstein we're gonna talk about Bram Stroker Bram Stroker (laughs) (laughs) that's that's still dibs on porn names (laughs) so um but a big thing that contributed to the 1930s and really the boom of horror movies and really film in general was the Great Depression. So I think that's a good place to start. And we're not talking about you guys' emo face. Yeah. <laughs> crippling, my crippling depression. This is not 07, guys. This is 1930. So, um, the Wall Street crashed in 1929, and, um... It was awesome. I mean, it was Remember when it happened in, like, <laughs> what was it, 08? 2009? Like, when like, the fuck did I it recall, crash again? Similar. Yeah, I remember I that we're in a recession, but like I really didn't feel too many effects from it. But that was just because like I I was. I have a funny story school, about it. Like I wasn't paying bills at that point. <laughs> I have a funny story about. It. Do you remember? Um, now I'm really fucked. Um, a friend of mine. You know? He up yeah, and disappeared. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine was at my house. Uh, when and he got a phone call from like his stepmom, and it was just like, oh, the stock market just crashed. Like we're gonna go into a recession. And the whole time at my house, he was freaking out, and I just, I didn't know what the fuck was. I was. We were in high school. I'm like, I don't know what that means. But he's going on. He's like, we're gonna have to get guns. We're gonna have to defend ourselves. <laughs> There's gonna be a fucking anarchy. And he's like, he didn't sleep that night because he's panicking in my house. He's just like, man, I can't fucking believe the stock market crashed. And I was like, all right, like shut the fuck up. Send the kids <laughs> to the factories. Yeah. Oh, cheap labor. <laughs> Could you fucking imagine if we just <laughs> Max get to work? Like the next day, my dad wakes me up like you're going to fucking work in a factory. <laughs> get the <up>. times come. <laughs> going to make textiles. <laughs> you can talk to your grandpa. He knows all about this. Oh, remember textiles? Good old days. <laughs> kids, kids losing arms in machines. Yeah. I work in a sweatshop. Do you? <laughs> so um. The, so the stock market crashing in the depression it affected all it affected all genres it wasn't just horror um, were they like more what about rom coms dude were they <laughs> oh yeah rom coms were affected no but uh, <laughs> Matthew no, McConaughey <laughs> was it like a, was there an effect on the amount that they were spending to produce films at that point is that um, where the effect came from or was it more like um well no so it was like sadness no it was uh it was the theme of the movies and to. I, we're going to be jumping around a lot, I think, because of the themes that stretched out throughout the whole decade. But uh, th- at the beginning of the decade, you get these themes of, like, these heroes that are being wronged and these super villains and a lot of symbolism we're on the government. We're being wronged yeah, by and the it, government. Yeah, and the movies really depicted 
the U.S. in a negative way and, like, the government in a negative way. And later on, when censorship started, you get it the second half of the decade, uh... Everything looks really luxurious. Like, if you think about, like, classic film, like... Yeah. yeah everybody looks, like, fucking rich and powerful. And it It's because censors... It, it was called the League of Decency. Um, it was created, and it restricted content that made the U.S. look bad. No poor people. <laughs> <laughs> and Thank out. you, Oliver Twist. We'll, we'll talk... <laughs> We'll talk about that too. Only more. rich people live in America. Are you done? <laughs> this is why Dylan hates editing episodes. Well, the worst part was she was making jokes like this the whole Silent Era episode, and I'm recording it. And she's like, "You gotta cut that. You gotta cut. You can't leave that in there. You gotta cut that." And I'm like, I mean, "We make a lot of really offensive jokes about a lot of shit." It was stupid shit too. Like I made the joke like the only war we fought was the Civil War. And Sears like, yeah, in the North one, and she's like, you gotta cut that, you gotta cut that. I'm like, why? What the fuck? I always get mad. And I specifically called out Alabama. You did, yeah, you yeah. did shit all over Alabama during that episode. <laughs> um, so, with the Great Depression, um, movies only cost a nickel to get into. And it, it was a AMC, double... AMC, your be, inflation sucks. <laughs> no, that's bullshit because the kids probably only got paid a nickel in the sweat factories. <laughs> For a week, yeah. It was, um, it was a double feature, too, so you'd have the B-movie afterwards, and so you'd get four hours of entertainment for a nickel, like... It, a lot of people would flock to the theaters you for You can it. get that at Gus's on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> but another thing, too, is it was such a rough time in the economy and living in the economy that you could go and escape for four hours and not have to worry about it and especially with horror film where you're kind of just shocked about you're watching uh, everybody else's life be fucked yeah it's very yeah exactly <laughs> and it's a very like straightforward thing and it yeah i wonder if it did play yeah, that I'm like sure when you're watching did. something and you're like wow at least my life's not, it's not that, that bad, bad. Yeah. yeah like i'm not getting hacked apart or like set on fire so i guess it's got to be good but that's a little girl that got drawn by frankenstein in the river <laughs> well um a thing that's another, very specific <laughs> Another thing, too, is uh, movies, like, especially horror movies at this time, like Frankenstein and Freaks and all these movies, they shocked audiences. So you'd be entertained going in to watch these movies, but then you'd have hours afterwards where you're discussing it and talking about it and, like, can you believe they did that? Bringing people together. And the images that kind of stick with you and it kind of, you know, kept your mind off of it. It made me think, like, how many times have we, like watched movies or done something and then talked about it so yeah but the thing about these movies though is that like even though they're from the 30s they still like they're so transcendent that you like you still watch them and talk about them like i know that with freaks for example like how much did we talk about freaks i mean it's freaks has been something that we've talked about a couple times in different episodes and just even in general, like, you, you see something and it gets brought up. Like, we've brought it up several times. I think um, something that you'll see with the 30s, and this isn't notes, this is just me noticing things. I think something that you notice with the 30s, too, is that horror becomes a lot more defined. Like, um, there's a big boom in horror movies in the 30s. And there was plenty in the 20s, but the 30s becomes the age of horror. Um, 
it becomes one of the biggest genres, especially in America. We're putting out so many horror films uh, during this decade. Um, and it's really, it's well, the you had first... brought up the list of, like, all of the horror films that came out in the there's 30s. There's, like, there's, like... And there's a flag that shows what country came out. Around. There was maybe, like, three or four out of, out like, of, 50, of, maybe, yeah. that weren't, that weren't American. Yeah. But, um... <coughs> this is the first decade where you'll hear the term horror being used to describe these films. Prior to this, it didn't happen. I tried to look up like where that started or like, it was who the coined ni- it. It was 1934. No- I don't know. Yeah. Who coined it though? I know as of 1934 is when they officially started referring to these movies as horror movies. Um, but I, I just think that you, you do see that big change from the 20s to the 30s. With I mean, uh, the obvious change is the, the talking films, but the whole... Um, style of filmmaking totally changes, and the movies become a lot more developed and and complete. I think that also has a lot to do with the fact that most of them, I, I feel like it was like, we saw this idea coming out of Germany, and especially like with the war and stuff, we there were probably plenty of, of people who were, you know, soldiers or whatever that were seeing these films all over there. Yeah, well, and then just like you know, it we it was like a hold my beer situation. Like we're well, like, oh okay, well big, you can do that. <laughs> a big thing with that too is um, with the Nazi Party coming to power, a lot of these German filmmakers fled to the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they went to Hollywood where they were just continuing to make films, and so we got kind of a blend of American influence. And it, I think that's why it, it was such like it appealed to all audiences because you had this outside influence on the film but then you also had the american influence on film and it blended together to make something I think that was it also too like with with the germans in the in the um everything from like the 30s prior uh it, it was art you know what i mm-hmm. mean and it was very like it, it was very expressive and it was a way for them to get their their ideas and their feelings out of of their own oppressions and now you know they're here and they have more freedoms and it's like okay so we we have this freedom what can we do with it and it was like well we can take the same things that we were doing and those same ideas but we can we can romanticize them a little bit Mm -hmm. and i i think that's where you get like your draculas and stuff like that it was it was very much like these these darker ideas and they they were romanticizing them because they knew that they could they could one do that and there was there was more of a market for it and it was you know it was it was a way for them to still do what they what they had been but not so deep it was a, a way for them to make it more modern more mainstream well it's interesting too because it films at this time horror films specifically they were made to be very intense and unrealistic and Which is why you have the monsters. Right, and it's why you have... It's how you get that escape from reality type mm-hmm. thing. And it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting because when you watch movies now, you look for a character that you can relate to or something in the film that you can relate to that because connects you... trying to escape. Because it'll connect you, yeah. Which is probably why there was such a big outcry against the movie Freaks is that it was very... You went to the movies to not be reminded of what you would consider horror in reality. <laughs> yeah. Which is terrible that the reason why people were so disturbed by that film is because they used people that With had physical disabilities, def- yeah. disabilities and deformities. Well, I think what really stuck and with people, really too... And it really disgusted people at that time, which is sad, but... And I, I think that the point of that movie was missed a lot. We've covered it oh before on the that show, movie, but like, in the movie, the people that are, you know, depicted as normal people are the pieces of shit. 
and, and what the I think that that was a hard pill yeah, for people to swallow exactly too. that's the thing is that with the movie Freaks it ended Todd Browning's career who made Dracula the biggest film of the 19th one of the biggest films of the 1930s mm-hmm. it ended his career yeah the uh, single-handedly destroyed his career and it's really sad because it's actually personally I believe it's a much better film than Dracula was and it's a much deeper film it's important and the whole point of it was to show that uh, I, I felt like his point was like these people deserve to it's be very treated inclusive, the same. And I think it and, was so ahead of its time. For and that. it was to show that normal people judging them were in the wrong, and the people took the deformities as the horror, not the, the horror, message. not the message. Yeah. And it's it's really sad that it wasn't taken how it how it should have been taken at that time. But at least now, I feel like Freaks is a very highly appreciated movie. And though I, I would I would never ever call this movie horror. We discussed but it. I yeah, think it we, is a very highly remembered and 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 enjoyed movie now. The only thing that is fucking terrifying about that movie is the end, where they're like fucking crawling under the. But that I loved Hans. Hans broke my heart. <laughs> oh my god, he was so cute. Hey there, Horror Haven fans. This is David back um, to kind of give you a little bit more of uh, my background and information um, about this time, the 1930s and the horror films that came out during this time. Um, The big thing that I noticed when just kind of looking through this and looking through the films that I actually own is you really see that the rise of the universal horror film actually came through at this time. Now, this was partially founded by Carl Lamell who was uh, one of the co-founders of the studio itself. Um, Just to kind of give some background information on their company, is they actually produced 21 horror films in what they kind of consider to be the classic monster series. Um, It's kind of actually crazy, as we hear a lot of fans complaining about sequels and world building, but this is something that the Universal Horror Films actually kind of started doing back in the day. one of the big things is they actually released three sequels to films that they had created. Um, now, the films they actually, the series that were created would be Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, and The Invisible Man. Um, but you could also see from there that they actually had created sequels to some of these films, like uh, Dracula's Daughter, Son of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, films like that. And this would actually carry on into the next decade as well. Um, and again, another thing that was really important still was the creating films off of novels, which we kind of saw in the previous decades as well. Um, now for this one, you see books from like Bram Stoker, which did Dracula. Um, you have Mary Shelley um, with Frankenstein. Um, the Mummy is actually based off of a story by Nina Wilcox Putnam and Richard Shear. Um, H.G. Wells actually had some film or had his books develop into films like the island of dr monroe was created into a film called the island of lost souls and as well as the invisible man was also adapted by universal um we actually also see that the film the old dark house was based on a jb Priestley novel um edgar Allan poe actually had a quite a few of his works actually adapted during this era um there was the murders in rue morgue uh the black cat and the raven were ones that were actually also produced during this era um, on top of that, um, Robert Louis Stevenson had his work. Um, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde was um, adapted again. 
Um, and then there was a film called uh, The Hands of Dr. Orlock, which was based off of a novel written by Maurice Reynard. Um, and his novel was called uh, Les Mains d'Orlock. And then another one that we also had would have been um, Sax Romer actually adapted uh, some of his Dr. Fu Manchu into uh, films as well. This era actually also saw something that kind of created some issues going forward when it comes to um, making film in that we had the creation of the Hayes Code, um, which would be adopted in 1930, but actually would not be enforced until 1934. And this was actually very important because it actually stifled cinema for about the next few decades. This code would create issues because of some of the censorship issues that you would have that were developed from it. Um, for example, like this, um, some of the things that I remember just from class when I was in college would have been that you had to have show separate beds for couples who were married. Um, there's also the issue that if you had a man and a woman in a room together and they were sitting on the bed that either one of them had to have their feet on the ground or it would have been bounced back to have it changed or removed from the film completely. And another big thing that actually changed a lot of screenplays would be is that you could not have the villains win or you could not have somebody get, committing crimes get away with them in the end. So it really kind of altered things and some films actually had to be bounced back and forth before they could actually get released as well. And then from here, I kind of wanted to get back on to track with some of the major players from this era. Um, you'll actually see the rise of some key actors, and the first one I want to talk about would be Bella Lugosi. Um, when I was looking through some information about him, it was completely insane to see that he had actually was in 40 plus films in the decade now not all of them were horror um, but that is just a crazy amount of films to actually be in during a stretch as short as that and it actually kind of is interesting because I can almost see how he developed a drug problem as that would be a lot of things to kind of have to deal with and I do know later in his career um, outside of this decade though that he actually would just bounce into films to just get the paycheck so he could continue um, you know to score and everything which is kind of sad because he is such a great actor especially in his iconic role of Dracula even though he didn't really play it in too many films um but he was just a great actor in his own right for sure and then not to be actually outdone though um while I was going through everything it looks like Boris Karloff actually was in 50 plus films in the decade again not all of them horror films but just to be in that amount of films is quite insane to think about as well What's also interesting about him, though, is that he actually didn't even get into acting until he was later in his life. He was actually 43, so that's actually quite impressive as well. And while I was also looking through, I was trying to figure out how many of the films that um, these two major players were in. And I found that they were in eight films together, which included The Black Cat, The Raven, and Son of Frankenstein. But they actually created some issues between the two of them, though is that Lugosi wanted to have top billing in some of these and actually one of the films which I believe was Son of Frankenstein he was actually the star of the film but they still gave top billing to Karloff which kind of strained their relationship um, the interesting thing though is that a lot of this comes back to the studio so it's kind of hard to blame Karloff for that but that is just something that I kind of come came across in my um, research um, I kind of wanted to move from here to Carl Freud um, 
he's actually the cinematographer for uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue as well as the original Dracula. And he was also the director of The Mummy. And another one would be the director, um, James Whale, who directed Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, as well as a sequel, Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and a guy I brought up last time around, um, Todd Browning, um, he's actually back in this one as he directed Dracula. And the movie I was talking about previously, Freaks, actually came out in this decade. But he also did um, Mark of the Vampire. Is It's actually a what they call a talky remake of his film in the previous era, um, London After Midnight, uh, which I haven't seen either of these two films, but it is kind of interesting because I didn't come across that London After Midnight was actually a vampire film. So it actually makes me wonder if they actually changed anything or if this is just kind of there's so many similarities between the two, they kind of just consider them that as well as he was the director of the devil doll but for whatever reason he was uncredited um i was kind of looking into it a little bit but didn't really find any reason as to why he was uncredited now i do know this is something that i'll actually touch on later um but that has to do some with some other political reasons so i'm actually kind of curious as to why he was uncredited for that um and then just some other notes that i actually had kind of put down as well um this era had the film the original film the king kong came out um the reason i kind of brought this up though is that they use stop motion uh which kind of became an important thing um around this era as well as a little bit later on but willis o'brien was the one that did the stop motion for this film now he first did the lost world where he did that and that came back in 1925 as a silent film um but a lot of people really credit King Kong just because some consider it to be the greatest horror film um, from this era. But one other thing that kind of was crazy is that the great Ray Harryhausen, who is known for his stop motion that came out um, in much later decades, actually trained under Willis O'Brien. So it's kind of can see how he's considered the greatest at doing this when he learned from a master like O'Brien. And then kind of to look at this on more of a down note as well would be um, the Dr. Fu Manchu film started coming out in this era. Now the reason I bring this up is that Dr. Fu Manchu is actually an Asian um, but you see a lot of racism in Hollywood and it was actually played by Karloff which I can't blame him for it but this is something that you would see throughout not only this era but even ones after the fact that they didn't always like to cast minorities when they didn't have to and especially during this era they weren't going to as well um and to kind of bring it back up a little bit before we kind of close this out is i actually wanted to talk about a film that i actually watched in class called uh, vampire um, now this film was created by carl theodore dreyer um, the interesting thing is that this film is mostly a silent film and it actually has the um, title cards that you would see um, in films from that era. Um, I guess from what I gathered is that Dreyer didn't really know how he was going to do the talking portions of it, which there are in there, um, but he kind of stuck with what he knew. And if you haven't seen Vampire, I definitely recommend it. It is a vampire type film where we have a lot of just creepy um, set pieces and different things that happen on it and it actually is based off of a novel and it is where a man comes to a town that is being plagued by a vampire. Um, so if you haven't checked that one out and you're kind of into the films from this era, I would give that one a shot. And then kind of the last notes that I had written down as well for this era is that there was a whopping um, 
69 f- horror films that came out during this era, uh, which is quite insane to kind of think about as well. But a lot of it was that they were made so cheaply and many of them don't have a really long running time that you could really just keep producing these films and they kind of would just see what would work and if it didn't they would go away from that and the ones that they did you definitely would see um, sequels as well as what we'll see in the next decade where you'll kind of see more of the dark universe as they really connect them and have crossover of their characters. Um, That's all the information that I had for you today. Um, Again, my name is David Garrett. Um, if you want to find me, I have my blog, A Horror Film Review, um, which you can also, you'll have, I have a page for it on Facebook if you want to check it out there. Um, I can also be found on Twitter at Buckeye from Mish, all one word. Um, I'm also on Instagram where I'll post the movie posters for any of the reviews that I have, and I can be found there at DavidOSU87HFWW, um, which is a group that I'm kind of a part of called Horror Fans Worldwide. Um, and if you also want to follow me on Letterboxd, you can find me at David OSU, where I also will post my reviews of the films that I have watched, and I also post them now on IMDb as well. Um, well, thank you again for your time, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Another theme that you get, you, you have a lot of... Um dreamlike atmospheres which is a a big thing that i found and it's a big thing that i've noticed um when you watch movies like frankenstein for example like the the openings like you can tell that the backgrounds are just like painted sets Mm -hmm. and it it's almost like i don't know if they went for a realistic look but it's almost like they purposely made it i feel very dreamy and when i look at the sets especially when they're supposed to be like outside at night and dusk um they look almost like silhouette so it like gives me like this thought of it's um like sunset on a hillside yeah you know because like especially if you like there's like um when you see the characters going around these really well the, the two-dimensional sets, sets yeah i mean they're not as like they're not as like as skewed as as like cabinet for example yeah they're try- i feel like i feel like that's the thing is that they're trying to be realistic um, but yeah in proportion and realistic but they're still very two-dimensional and flat so it's like you got for the time it was though. really really awesome yeah. but like looking back um you can you can def- definitely tell and like back then they weren't stupid they knew they weren't fucking you know yeah but the but thing, that was the the thing about them though is that they like there was so much like effort put into making them mm-hmm. and there's so much like, a lot of the sets were kept that, yeah. for a long time the dracula set was reused for the entire decade the Frankenstein set was, the laboratory set was reused when they did Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And that was, what, the 60s? I always thought it was the 80s. Yeah, I thought it was the 80s, Maybe it's too. the 80s, I don't fucking know. When did Willy Wonka come out? Because they had the same guy in it, Gene Wilder. I'm like... Fact-checking for a friend. It might be, it might be the you 80s, like, but I feel like that's... 74. Okay, so we were so, both... yeah, we were told, in the we were, there. Yeah, we found it, the 70s. Okay. Um... But yeah, you get these like fantasy settings too, like with Dracula, you have the castle and Transylvania. Yeah, King Kong, you have like Skull Island and. Can I just say, Dracula? To this day, every time I hear the line, "Listen to the children," what is it like? Like hear the children of the night and the music they make or whatever that line is. Oh, the little ghosty delivers, man. That was a good line. I'll have to double check what the exact line is, but. And I also that. shot a lot of heroin. 
<laughs> Who the fuck are you? Or his dad? Why do you give a fuck if he's shooting heroin? He made some fucking weird movies later on because he was just like, I'll do anything. Just fucking give me money. I need heroin. <laughs> Good for you, Bella Lugosi. Good for you. <laughs> do what makes you happy. You he do, lived a full life. He you didn't die you. young. Speaking of people who are old, let's talk about Boris Karloff, 44 in his first film. What's in his first film? Frankenstein? Mm-hmm. Google it. Bitch. He was, yeah, in Frankenstein. 44. It was I his think, first, yep. It was his first film. As the monster. Do you know I did not know until this year that he was the guy that narrated um, The Grinch? The original Grinch. Really? Yeah. Yep. He's got a really distinctive voice. He's got a he really does, distinctive and it's face, like... too. So it's like, <laughs> they reused him in a bunch of films in the well, 30s. Well, The Mummy, and he and was Frankenstein, like, and then The Mummy, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. It's it's hard to, like, disconnect from different movies. It's like seeing Brad Pitt in the same thing 40 times. Yeah, so he was in a bunch of stuff before. Christian Bale. He can make himself look different. <laughs> Frankenstein was the first one that got him recognition. He wasn't even invited to the premiere, though. That's pretty shitty. Yeah, that is shitty. Yeah, that's shitty. I feel like this is a really hard decade to cover because we have covered it so much already. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes and no, because, I, I mean, we've covered individual films, but I don't think we've ever actually got into, like, you know, what spurred people mm -hmm. to make these, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you have this big rush of movies and it, it was a really popular thing but by 1933 um, bankruptcy and unemployment continued to be on the rise and you kind of get a big decline in moviegoers. I think it, it still was a very popular thing but that damn nickel was really hard to come across yeah had to make your kids work extra hard <laughs> you better put in 60 hours this week Little Timmy, I don't care if you're eight years old. We're going to the movies this weekend. <laughs> I, don't I don't care. I don't, don't care, care if you got TV. I need that nickel. Yeah. So um. Another big part of the '30s was the censorship, which was coming, which came along shortly after. They saw freaks and they were like, "Screw!" <laughs> Hold no up. More. No. Okay. So I, I have some interesting stuff about censorship. Um, the first thing that I had is they had the National League of Decency. Or the Catholic League of Decency. Why do I feel that like, like that's a superhero? Yeah, that's yeah. like a superhero. The fucking nuns in capes. Just, the yeah. Hall of Decency is where they'd meet. Yeah. Um, they fought content that went against the standards or views of the Christian, or not Christian, the Catholic Church. The Decency League? Yeah. Uh, there was attempts to censor film before this, but it really started being enforced in 1934. But um, what the... Catholic Church would do is they would have to review any movie that would be distributed later on and determine if it met their views. You know, they still try yeah, and do that shit today. What the business is it the no, Catholic Church is about listen, fucking movies? Well, they thought that it was a bad influence on kids who would go see the movie. And, um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very Very I don't think that came out in the 30s, yes, did it? Hey, Siri. What year did Reefer Madness come out? I found three for you to choose from. Reefer Madness, Evil Bong 3. Evil Bong 3, just like Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. 36. Yeah, you're right. 
Thirty-six. Damn! Look at you, phone a friend. What up? <laughs> that's what outlawed marijuana because it, uh, it depicted white women with black men, and that's when like segregation and stuff. So that's what outlawed marijuana. Boom. Another fun fact: Reefer Madness. Damn, Marshall just schooled us. <laughs> the biggest horror movie of thirty. Don't move to Colorado, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I know it's off. I know it's off. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Yeah, you're speaking about like. Well, in a way, yeah, it joking. is a very yeah. scary movie. Well, it yeah. was for them, but it's like censorship. Like, yeah, it scares me. That outlawed a whole thing in the country. Yeah, I mean, it scares me. The devil's lettuce. <laughs> the devil's lettuce. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they oh, probably no part of refer that. to that. As the, uh, can we all watch Reefer Madness? Can we watch <laughs> Follow Up with Evil Bong 3? <laughs> yes, Follow Up with Evil Bong 3. <laughs> Alright, cool. But, um, we got a date, guys. I'll watch anything except fucking, what is that turkey movie? Poultry <laughs> Guys? Poultry Guys? guys. <laughs> I'm never watching that shit. So, um, the, the church would review these movies and they'd pretty much say straight out, like, if you watch this movie, you're going to hell. I just picture the Pope with, like, a big old bucket of popcorn. <laughs> like, nah, not this one. This ain't good. <laughs> these kids yeah, but these like, kids will be fucking sewing bodies back together and trying to bring them back to life. God does not like this message. Uh, so, um... These teenagers out here trying to suck blood. So... <laughs> Why does he have a southern accent? I feel like I don't know. He was, well, it's either that he was he blows the George Bush the Pope gets scared and fucking shoots the screen. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh fuck! So uh, oh. random. But have you seen? Have you seen the, <laughs> the meme with the cat, the cowboy hat, and it says, "Do you think cats in Texas say meowdy?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I thought that shit was so funny, but I laughed about Please it. Please stand by while we, get, while, while we figure out our shit right oh, now. Sorry about that. Did you say right meow? Right meow? <laughs> <laughs> Easy meow. Oh, okay, never mind, not getting up. Alright, so um, big surprise. The, the whole Catholic censorship thing, it did end up backfiring because people would see the... You know, disclaimers don't watch oh, this movie, is, which means it's edgy and really scary. Is that the, how, how, the, how the Catholic Church picked up? Well, you know, see, I don't know. I don't hey, know. Hey, you want to watch this uh, see, top secret movie? I guess I would say, oh, this is really scary. Fucked up. We got to watch it. But they probably, or from what I understood from this, they would see the like pamphlets or path, path, pamphlets, posters and stuff that were like speaking out against the movie out. and think that they were promotions to go see the movie. Oh. And so. That's kind of that's kind of cool. Imagine imagine being like a sixty year old like Catholic woman walking in. You see this fucked up movie. You're like oh my god, Jesus. why would the church recommend this? <laughs> so um, another thing, uh, the big thing that As pushed censorship comes through the roof of Dylan and Sarah's house. <laughs> A big thing that pushed censorship was, um, it was referred to as the Hayes Code, and, um, yeah, William (laughs) H. Hayes, he wanted to censor films that he thought would be a bad influence on children, and this was also really pushed by the Catholic Church because they had similar views. Um, he was hired by Hollywood because Hollywood in the 20s had a lot of provocative movies, and they also had a lot of scandals, so he was hired by Hollywood to clean up Hollywood's image. They would have a... They paid him. Today. They paid him a hundred thousand dollars a year, which, with inflation, is one point four million dollars a year. Damn. Yeah. So homeboy was living a good life. Oh yeah. The code sets up high standards of performance for motion picture producers. It states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary 
in this universal form of entertainment, respect for law, respect for every religion, respect for every race, and respect for every nation. Could you imagine, like, like seriously though, could you imagine some of the things that like we have like today, back then, like how people would oh, take yeah, it? Oh yeah, I know. People would have a fucking conniption. Um, so there'd be riots in 1915. The Supreme Court had established in the court case Mutual Film Corporation versus Industrial Commission of Ohio that freedom of speech did not extend to film. So that was what gave the okay to censor the movies because it was people can say, "Oh, well, Could freedom of speech, of wow. I can do." Yeah, I didn't know so that. So you went from booby 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 boobies prior to 1930s. First off, they were breasts in bottles. <laughs> Um, so Hayes introduced what, damn thing in Hayes introduced what he called the formula, which was a formula of what a movie should be. And it was a bunch of dicks, first off. There was no boobs when we were watching Dante's Inferno. Yeah, Dante's Inferno, <laughs> not the formula. The formula is not just throw a bunch of dicks in there. On rocks. Dicks on, dicks rocks. on rocks. They were walking around with dicks hanging out on shale. Tell me that's not the most terrifying thing you what could ever you think slip? of. Right? <laughs> You're losing something. All I can tell <laughs> anyway. you is that I've gotten stitches twice in my knee falling on chill. That's all you need to know about that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot with uh, film censorship, and I didn't take a lot of notes on it because there was literally it's a, a giant dry, fucking... Though, you know what I mean? Well, there's a lot of, like, court cases and, like, instances in film where it, it affected them. So if you want to look into that more, you can, but I feel like it's too much... It expands well, too much to go yeah, over this. But I, what I will say about... Um, it, with horror films, the Hays Code did not prohibit gruesome images or, you know, terrifying things. So horror films really, you know, benefited from that because they didn't. Have so to what cut exactly? That it was did more it like though, the nudity, you know? oh, just like nudity, and um, I'm sure violence to an extent was cut. And like we had said before, like depicting um, like the government or anything in a You know what's so way. weird though is that like the Catholic Church was so involved in this, yet it wasn't anything where it was like, oh, you got to cut out the demonic. You know what I mean? I mean, you don't really see a lot. Of... Not like demonic, but you know what I mean. Like any of these like characters, like if you think of these monsters, yeah. To somebody who's highly religious, I'm sure they came across. Well, I mean, as people that watch was, like, like Harry Potter today and are like, no, it's yeah, the devil. Yeah. yeah. Now doing some research. Um, the, it, which I found was related, Dylan found it wasn't related, the the ending of the first wave of Universal Monsters came around at the same time as censorship in 1936. I found that it was directly related to the censorship laws. Dylan found that it was not directly related I'm to sure the censorship laws. I'm sure it was both. Yeah. Laws, but that is the end of the first wave, and you won't see another Universal monster movie come out until 1939 with the daughter of Dracula, I think is what it is. Yeah, they started mass producing all these sequels like Son of Frankenstein and that's Daughter like of big Dracula at the end of like 1939 through the 40s you'll start seeing all of those films in the 40s so Universal goes from making 20 films I think, believe in the 30s to skyrocketing up to like 44 films in the 40s yeah, really and then shooting back down to 20 in the 50s and then one in 1960 and then that was that yeah so um, the, what I had found that cause it and i'm sure it's a mix of censorship like you had said sierra and um what i had found was universal studios had gone bankrupt in 1936 which well they um, definitely do a lot better in the 40s so good job yeah. guys 
Just um, push through that big on, on the rebound. So the last things about censorship that I have here are um, Freaks and Frankenstein were really the big ones that pushed censorship. Push it, yeah. um, well, I mean, they, they I would say that those were probably more risky movies at the time, and, and Frankenstein not nearly as much as Freaks. And Freaks, I don't think should have been. But I don't I think, think that, Freaks should have been. Either. I think that Freaks well, was certain because things, of the time. Well, no, there's certain things too in Freaks. Like I think at the end, like they castrate a guy yeah. and shit, like stuff like that. So yeah, but he Frankenstein, yeah, I absolutely. feel like <laughs> a big part of Frankenstein. He he murdered a child, which that did end up being cut up, cut, and yeah. then it got put back in later on. So we can watch that version today, where he throws the where girl he throws in the, the girl girl into the river. river. Right. But that was very very graphic for that time. And uh, yeah, was a big I think even now, like, issue. killing kids is very, like, taboo yeah. in movies. They're starting to get, like, really edgy with that shit. They're killing kids a lot. Well, speaking of killing dogs kids... Dogs right now. Don't kill a fucking dog. Yeah, speaking you of killing kids, you. um, it's not really considered a horror movie, but I've always looked at it as, like, a precursor to slasher movies is... It's a Fritz Lang movie, and I think it's from Germany. It's from 1931 called M. Mm-hmm. And the movie follows this guy who is a serial killer, and he kills children. Like, he's killing children. And I think, like, the... I haven't watched it in a long time, but, like, the first half of the movie, I think, is, like, him just fucking picking kids off the streets and killing them. And it's not showing him killing them, but, you know, it's kind of like a slasher movie. I've always looked at it as, but then the second half is, like, he gets caught, and he's being, like, tried for it. But it's, like, this... It's, it's a really like modern. a murder mystery kind it's, of. Yeah, but it's very weird. I'd, I'd have to rewatch it because I haven't watched that it. That storyline's very modern. It's been like 10 years since I watched it, but it, I I remember like a bunch of... It was like in a basement or some shit, and it's like it wasn't a standard like That room. sounds creepy because I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about like the style of movies from like that time, like the 30s, yeah. and I'm like, well, that's got to be really fucking creepy. I'm not going to lie. Yes. <laughs> and now I'm curious. Yeah. And I'm so... Like, M, highly recommend it. But back to this. Um, lines were removed from Frankenstein that referred to Dr. Frankenstein's god complex. Mm-hmm. Anytime they brought up him having a god complex, that got cut so out. So the and line the drowning scene. like, there's a line where the, it's a lie it's a lie. I'm a god. He says something like that. Yeah, something like, view me as god or, or call me god yeah. or something like that. That was cut out and then re-added back in later on. Yeah, um, Kansas, well. the state of Kansas, wanted to remove... Nothing. Th- yeah, not the band. <laughs> um, Great band, though. Great band. <laughs> they wanted to remove 32 scenes from Frankenstein, which would have cut the runtime in half. So, so they like were really, movie. they were really pushing it. Now, irony of it, um, freaks used sex in their marketing to promote the movie. So it was like, how does the, how do the Siamese twins have sex? And like that's how they, they marketed it. Yeah, that's edgy. So they did this. Kansas did not censor any of that they did not see a need to censor any of the sexual promotion that they did for freaks i feel like that was out of morbid curiosity (laughs) it's like well (laughs) well i'm not gonna cut it out because i want to see what happens here (laughs) i'm just curious how this one's gonna go um so films like dr jekyll and mr hyde and the murders of rue morgue depicted violence Yes, yeah. Um, there was a. There were three movies that were based on Edgar Allan Poe's work. Was it the was Black Cat one of them? The Black Cat, Murders of Rue Morgue, and The Raven. Mm-hmm. And I think Murder or Black Cat and The Raven starred Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, and Murders of Rue Morgue just starred. So Bella they did Lugosi. great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But like Murders of Rue Morgue, it's based on Edgar Allan Poe, but I think it's very loosely. Like they yeah. they changed a lot. I but remember reading that book. There's that some story. Yeah, like one of the. I think the plotline of it, like, he's trying to mix the blood of, like, 
a person with a monster or something like that. Um, the murders of Rue Morgue, it's like, it, he's trying to mix, like, the blood of a person with a monster, and they, like, break into this girl's window and rapes her. Like, it's really fucked up stuff. Stuff like that, I can see why censorship was pushed. Hello, everybody. I'm John from Skeleton Rose Media. And I'm Becca. And we're here today to talk to you a little bit about 1930s horror. And so, um, to me, uh, 1930s horror comes right out of the end of the silent era, which is the 20s. And so, there was such a huge emphasis on storytelling in the 20s as far as story elements and uh, character arcs, things of that nature, the interplay of music and story to tell a really well-rounded uh, visual cinematic experience. And so the 30s, coming out of that, we have the first invention of sound, or, or speaking in movies, not sound, because silent movies had a whole soundtrack. But <laughs> one of the things that I find so striking with 1930s movies is that now that we have speaking, there's very little music. To begin with, yeah. Like, from the beginning of the 30s, there was very little music. You had the intro music, and then it was just talking. But A lot of it, same... though, was, like, natural silences. Uh, like, right. nature's own soundtrack kind of thing. Right. And, and this is when we also got to have uh, background noise introduced in the movies. You started hearing, like, wolves howling in the back or some bird noises, they started introducing these into the movies, and eventually, like when you get to The Mummy, you had mood music being added. Ooh, the bad guys around the corner. Right, well, I, I mean, and uh, I always uh, think back a great deal to uh, White Zombie. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> White Zombie, there's a lot of, of silence in that movie. And there's a lot of like crickets you hear, basically the sound of silence, which is uh, the darkness of the audio realm, which makes sense to me because if you can't use something to accentuate the story, you cut it out. So it's if you don't have a bunch of really great noise or a soundtrack or speech or whatever, you just use silence, which I like the sound of, but there's this stark contrast where in the 30s you have movies, now that they have the full spectrum of capabilities at their disposal you have a bunch of movies kind of like finding their wings in terms of like how to create a visual cinematic experience with every element of the story so now you have visuals you have speech and you have music and the 30s to me were all about kind of finding this interplay of how they're all supposed to fit together rather than having a full emphasis on story and I think that is really reflected with the Universal Monster arc. So, I mean, everybody loves those movies. You know, Dracula, The Wolfman, The Mummy. Wolfman, was that the 30s? Uh, the, I'm trying to remember. Well, I know, I know Dracula and The Mummy. And Frankenstein. And Frankenstein were 30s. And so when you think about uh, those movies, you know, as classic as they are, the stories are very simple. You, you, you know what I'm saying? So this, the stories are very, very simple. And so I think the reason that is, is because in the 30s... It's kind of like a new hatchling in terms of the engine to create movies finally having its full facilities. Uh, a Werewolf of London, okay. Uh, but, but you finally have movies 
uh, and cinema having its full realm of capabilities and and um, basically it has all its limbs finally and so that's learning how to use them as can, an engine to create a story rather than rather than having these the complex writing so like these stories are not overwritten they're very very simple a lot of it is like sea monster monster does bad things defeat monster that's that's kind of the arc in the 30s and the stories are simple because they're figuring out basically how to make movies and you can see that in like dracula which is in 1931 um they, they've gone from silent to talking, but in the silent films, your um, facial expressions were like overdone so that you would know, oh, this is, this is how they're supposed to feel. And in Dracula, you could still see that being portrayed almost to um, a comedic extent uh, because they, they don't realize quite yet how to use all of the sound elements instead of having to overplay the facial expressions expressions um but as the era progresses uh to the mid 1930s they're starting to get a grip of how to um use all of the elements at their disposal but then like right in the middle of the 1930s when they started enforcing the code and um making sure that all of these movies were um appropriate for the audiences the the style changed to more subtlety when you're talking about any sexual elements lovers started having to become married um and a good always triumph over evil well i think that's i think that's never i I think instead uh, of the blatant um well like in in the mummy uh the the female character she was like oh put put me in my negligee so i look beautiful for um for my love and rather than just rather than yelling out let's fuck you know yeah. <laughs> you know but uh uh well and i think uh, you know the pre-code postcode thing is is uh, pretty well the, the the stark contrast between the two is is pretty well documented with uh, freaks Yes. You know, seeing seeing the movie Freaks compared to a lot of the other. That I mean, but even that talking about simplicity of story. Freaks was before the code. Right, exactly. But as talking about to like um the Wolfman of London where everything was hinted at but proper not, and not and, exposed. Right, much more subtle. And and you get a lot of that going into the 40s. And like and I I think there's a lot of these masterpieces in the 40s where they really find the right balance because the stories become a little bit more complicated going into the 40s you know the stories the writing kind of steps up a little bit once they get their facilities under them as far as learning how to utilize the engine that is uh cinema how to properly use their tools how to properly movie yeah (laughs) and that the 30s were basically all about that it's kind of this exploratory time of like all right well how do we utilize all of these limbs to create a frightening experience and so the movies were very very simple in terms of like all right you shock them with a monster and then, uh, you know, and then what do we do after that? Well, the, the, you know, speech is supposed to cover a lot of that, but a lot of these movies are very underwritten, but because they're not focusing on that, they're focusing on trying to learn how to, how to, how to talk, and you know? and also how to actually create the monster, like the right. the, the, effect, the use the of the effects was actually a lot better than what they used in the twenties, in my opinion, or. Um, 
I mean, if you looked at Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I thought was funny, this is the only time I've ever heard him pronounce Jekyll. Um, but you could see the transitions, and one of my favorite things about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was the point of view of, um, like, you're following Dr. Jekyll's um, view. He, when he drinks the potion, you see him lift the cup up to his mouth, but all you see is just, you know, the cup coming up, and then you see him reflected in the mirror, and he morphs into this um, ape-like monster. Well, and, and, and when you think, too... And the transitions just uh, at, beautiful. At, at the front of your four, at the front of your mind, when you think about thirties too, there's a lot of. I mean, you need to temper your expectations, but when you <laughs> think about the focus of the thirties, there was a lot on shock value because, like, going back to, to Boris Karloff and Frankenstein, like he had. Um, uh, I, I, uh, I forget the word for it. Is it a bridge? Something, something with his teeth or his cheek or whatever else had some dental work or, it's some some kind of. The, the classic iconic dent in the side of his face in that classic Frankenstein picture that everybody sees, he took the bridge out to make him look more unsettling. Um, he took the bridge out to make him look more unsettling and to make his face less symmetrical. And so um, there was, you know, to make him look more freakish. And so the focus is like less on writing, more on shock value, because that's easier to focus on while you are um, utilizing sound and, 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 and uh, all, all of these things that come with movies growing up, basically. And so uh, I, and in closing here, I'd, I'd like to share one of my favorite stories from, from, uh, from Frankenstein, because I, I absolutely adore this movie. Uh, <clears throat> Boris Karloff, uh, I can't remember the name of the, of the little, of the gal that he was working with in the movie, but but he would, um, the scenes, I guess, would get so intense. And this is 1930s, like I said, so temper your expectations here. Don't, don't be a prick and be that guy that, you know, uh, watches a 1930s movie now. And it's like, ah, you know, it's pretty lame. Don't be that guy. But anyway, so temper your expectations. But So the, the uh, gal that he was working with, Boris Karloff. Um, May Clark? Uh, yes, I believe so. She would get so frightened working in these scenes with Boris that he had he was I guess Boris Karloff is about the sweetest guy you know you can read you can read countless stories about Boris Karloff and so like he had this thing where like scenes would get so intense and she'd get so frightened and stuff that she would get ready to like faint on set because she would start to hyperventilate and stuff and so so he'd have this move where he'd waggle his his pinky he'd waggle his pinky at her like when he wasn't on screen to remind her that it's only Boris like that's what that's what he would always say. Like not Frankenstein. He'd waggle his pinky, be like it's only Boris. You know, I just I just think that's such a cute. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is adorable. I think that's a, that's a cute, adorable, uh, adorable story. And if that's not about the best that horror has to offer, I don't know what is. I don't know how many times I've been writing something or we're doing photo shoots or, or whatever else. Things get really, really fucking intense, and and there's always there's always so much levity. It's on, only John. Yeah, it's only John. You know, waggle your pinky like it's. You know, I remember uh, when we were doing the face stuff where we were did the makeup with ripping out Becca's eyes and some of those shoots got really intense or when I had the Nero paint on and had my eyes rolling in the back of my head and all this shadowy stuff, like it gets pretty intense. But there's so many laughs. <laughs> I feel like there's more laughs and more levity on a horror set for some reason. And it might just be the juxtapose of uh, horror and fright and everything else that leads to people 
like the old, enjoying laughter but the and, only and I, the only two things you can handle when you're that horrified is you're you're either going to be like so afraid you're going to be like screaming or it's so frightening that you just laugh. have to laugh and so i love that that boris karloff story so when, like in terms of horror and everything else like if it ever gets to be too much for everybody just remember that boris karloff story from the 30s just remember just waggle your pinky because it's only boris <laughs> All right, everybody, take it easy. Love you. Peace, love, brotherhood. Stay brutal. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, under Skeleton Rose Media or Skeleton Rose. All that fun shit. Take it easy. Love you. From Horror Haven and Skeleton Rose, peace out, everybody. So another thing that I had found... Um and the, the site I found it on, I'm going to shout it out because it's the only place I found anything about it on, is uh, horrorfilmhistory.com. And that's where we did a lot of our research from. They had a lot of good facts Especially on Especially the 20s. Yeah, but um, mm-hmm. a constant theme that the 30s and like going on to the 40s had was like the theme of mad scientists. And the reason before this was Nazis obviously were obsessed with, you know, finding like eugenics and you know experimentation and everything but um it wasn't just them like there were other countries that were obsessed with like experimenting on people and stuff so there was this fascination with it it wasn't america because he definitely did it there was this fascination with um like this theme out (laughs) (laughs) this theme of like defying god with science so you have, like, uh, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, The Invisible Man. Like, there's just all these movies that have to do with these mad scientist characters. And they always had this theme of science will fail. And, like, these people that thought that they were doing good with science weren't. Um, just like I, those guys that did shock therapy and psych wars. Yeah, and it, it goes back to uh, also what we were talking about with all the immigrants that came over from like Germany and stuff that were working in Hollywood um, they had experience, experienced all this firsthand. so they, they were familiar with yeah. these themes yeah and um, it was almost like they were warning of the dangers of like experimenting with science it's so crazy though because like when you think of like movies like even horror movies like it's an artistic like expression like you're you're expressing yourself and it's like when you think about these people and like the real life shit that they must have seen and then them still being having some sort of of like uplifting feeling with inside them that they could be like oh you know what I still want to create art regardless of if it's darker and like mm-hmm. you know what I mean and it's it's got these like darker tones and stuff to it but they still have that like that feeling inside them like I want to be creative with with this it's like I don't know it's just it's a really interesting like thought to, you know what to I me think anyway I th- you know what I think is interesting is that like people were questioning like how far is it okay to go with science? You know what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. with the mad science. People don't question that shit these days. No, not at all. Oh, no, they do, they do still, because there's the whole, like, is cloning okay, and there's the whole debate over that and controversy. Yeah, but it's more of, like, a moral standing. It, it, I, I think that, like, I mean, you have people that are, like, still pushing that, and, like... Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You'll have some like, that will go that like, extra mile with Yeah, I feel like, like people are, are, would be, are more willing to back science a much further extent than what... I, I th- and I'm not saying that science is bad. Obviously, you know, education-wise, it's important to learn. I just don't think learn, we let religion get away anymore. Yeah. I think that I think that people allow anything that can have scientific proof behind it 
if it works, it works. I, I don't think that there's any real moral standing against it at this point for, for a good majority of the, at least the United States. It seems like if it's, if there's scientific facts behind it, it doesn't matter whether it's moral or not. Push it. You know what I mean? Let's see what happens. And I think it's funny that at that point there was questions on that. I think that there was something that, an alien that flew past our house. I, I thought the lights flickered and I was like, it's fucking daytime. What happened? And there's no lights <laughs> yeah. on. So, um, yeah, no, I agree. And I agree with what Erica said too. Like, we're not letting religion get in the way. I, I mean, to an extent, maybe, because I have heard the argument against cloning of like... Yeah, but even with cloning, like, it's, it's the more, there's, there's people who are highly for it and highly against it. The ones that are against it just don't do it. The ones that are for it are still doing it. They're just not doing it on a scale of cloning humans. They're just, they're still cloning animals. I mean. Was it Dolly, the sheep? They do the sheep. It's really weird Um, because it's like cloning, it's a crazy. cloning parts though. It's insane to be able to do. It's insane to be able to do, but like at the same time, it is, there is a huge question of. Is this our place to be doing these things? Well, that's like, um, I I think it's a great thing, but I know that some people were opposed to it, but they... (laughs) Okay, Siri, we're not going to clone anybody. Thank you for telling us that you're not for that, though. I thought that was Marshall. I was like, no. (laughs) It's the fucking ghost that Um, put out the lights and then... No, but I've seen it as... I saw something a couple years ago, or it might have been last year, I don't remember, but it's... um, scientists are using like the uterus of like cows or pigs or something for they were testing to see if like you could if a baby could survive in like an artificial womb yeah it was like um they're doing a whole thing with artificial wombs yeah so like if a baby's born premature they could put it in well didn't you there was a woman who recently just gave birth to a child from a transplanted uterus, they took they transplanted a uterus out of a woman who had who had died, into her because she couldn't have children and she successfully had a child. Yeah. Well, it was like I I sent you that link the other day about um the scientist in China who uh yeah what he he cloned embryos yeah so it I mean technically no he I'm sorry he didn't clone embryos he genetically altered embryos yes and he inseminated um what I think it was like three women and all three of them had successful pregnancies with children who were genetically altered how did he See, he that's got what I'm saying. caught. That just that's seems an ethics so... issue. No, he's under. He was. I mean, the government, the Chinese government, has him like on lock and key. I'm surprised the Chinese but government gives a fuck with that. They opted. They're opting not to tell the children that they are genetically, genetically yeah. altered. Well, the thing is, is with, because they with, don't with want doing them. things like that. How do you know how that's going to affect a human being? Like, like I don't think it should be a question. Regardless, I do not think that you should be genetically altering humans. At all. That's weird. Well, I mean, I but think... I how think do to we extent, know the effects? Well, I think to an extent, I think it's more or less, like, altering the genetics to cut out certain diseases. You know what I mean? Like, if you have a genetic disposition for, I don't know, like... Like hereditary diseases? Yeah, like, like a... Can, like, like a higher rate of cancer in your family. Yeah, or but something like, like that. But like, even with that, you like, don't know what the effects of that would be. Well, that's what the whole thing is, is playing God and how yeah. far is it just too far. But, I mean, this is like going off We definitely went off yeah, no, yeah. way we went too off. far on that. You can cut that. it out, though. Yeah. So, I just we don't need to get political. We just got into, like, a political. huge <laughs> ethics debate. Yeah. So, um, 
We don't need that shit on our podcast. The last thing I have, I don't know what you have on your notes, but the last thing that I had on my notes was um, the rise of Universal Monsters and the Universal movies. So um, Carl Lamell, who is the founder of Universal, uh, his son Carl Lamell Jr., who is referred to as Jr., um, he was appointed as the head of production in 1928. He was only 21 years old. A lot of people didn't get along with him. I wish um, I had a job that good at 21. And people had said that he didn't have the same drive that his dad had. But he he chose what properties they would adapt into. So Dracula and Frankenstein. So he was successful in that. He also was the one that appointed like James Whale, who had directed All Fire on the Western Front, which was like a huge successful he movie. He did Frankenstein. He did Frankenstein. And um, like... Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, he was the one that casted them in their roles. So he did make good choices, yeah. um, but he also made a lot of bad choices, which is why, like I'd said before, in 1936, um, the, the company had gone bankrupt. You and know, that's because he was funding all of these films that ended up just being The crazy thing about it, though, is like now looking back on it, like for me anyway... When you think of horror, like you obviously, you think of this time period. Like, mm-hmm. you, like Sarah said, it's that golden age. But then... For me, anyway, when you think, like, obviously, like, we watch horror movies so much that we know that there's more in between those gaps, but you don't really see, like, that, those same memorable characters until you get to, like... The 80s. The 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, you you have, like, a 50-year gap where... Well, you, you've got to There think- are, there's still very awesome movies, and if you're a diehard horror fan, you've seen them, but it's, like... It looks like it kind of comes in yeah. ways, because think about it, like, okay, so you get... You have in the 30s, you have almost what becomes franchise monsters. You get that again in the 80s, and you get it again in the 2000s with movies like Saw. Like House of a Thousand Corpses with Captain Spaulding. So you start getting these, but it seems like it comes in waves, where there's an era where these big franchises are very popular, and then they go out, and it's more independent films. Not independent made, but independent standing alone films. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, you get the wave of the franchises again. And, you know, I think I think it just depends on what the audiences are looking for. And if they dig something, you know, they're going to keep cranking it out for money. Yeah. Honey. Well, I, I mean... <laughs> I had to. I had to rhyme. It, it's cool, too, because you had brought it up. We weren't recording, but um, this is where the first time where you get, like, stars. Mm-hmm. Like, Bela Lugosi was this recognizable star who went on to do all these films. And same with um, Boris, Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, and, he's um, the Wolfman, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, you did get all of these stars, and, like, Todd Browning was, like, a known name. James Whale was a For name. a year. <laughs> but um, it's really the start of that, because now, you know, we know celebrities off the top of our head, no problem. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could probably name 40 actors. You also, it's, it's, it's crazy, too, because all of these things that are, like, known things... This is where you get the first film. Like, White Zombie was considered the first zombie movie. How many zombie movies do we have now? Dracula was the first... Well, not the first, but... It's, it's the what first popularized adaptation of what vampires became. Bram Stoker. Yeah. Bram Stoker. <laughs> it um, went from the really gloomy, scary vampire to the handsome... But romantic. That rom- the romanticized version of it. Yeah. You could thank him for fucking Edward... <laughs> Colin, I swear to God, like that's this was the slowest transition into what the shit is now. But uh, Universal also at this time they did the first um, werewolf movie, 
1935, and that was Werewolf in London. Plus, we also had the first talking film. That was in 28, but that was considered a lost film. Yeah. The the, we're, the, the, our first surviving talking film was Dracula. Uh, in horror, yeah. In horror, yeah. I don't care about the others. I'm not correcting you. I'm correcting all of these people that already had their phones out. Like, excuse me, motherfucker. (laughs) I'm so sick of correcting you on iTunes, Sierra. I'm just going to do it right now. Yeah, but... um, Fact-checking for a friend. So Universal really was the um, dominant studio in this. And again, the same with censorship. We could do an entire episode. We could do an entire series just on Universal. I'm not going to do that. We can review those movies later on. And we, we already have... We did, yeah. We did a batch. Or we we've did, done two batches. No, we did one. We, we did, did, the we did mommy, First Wave. We did The Mummy. We did Frankenstein. And we did Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. I think that was the first episode. Ooh, of Creature from the Black Lagoon is like a third wave. Yeah. There, I, I, what were we thinking with that combination? That makes no sense. <laughs> But, um, such a solid movie, though. So solid. You start getting, like, sequels, too, like Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You said, um, like, Daughters of Dracula, and you, you get these sequel movies, which I'm I don't, pretty sure I don't think sequels was... were a thing at, mm-hmm. at this time. No, ex- exactly, and that's exactly what I'm saying with the franchises. This was the first one to really get into that, and it's, like, not even just, like, it wasn't like Frankenstein was a franchise, or it was, like, the All Universal Monsters together was just an ongoing universe. It, it really... When you watch them, you get the same feel like these belong in the same world together. These monsters, these creatures live in the same world. Yeah. And eventually you do start seeing them cross over. like, And, and they start crossing over into different genres of film as well. Because you start Costello. getting Abbott and Costello yeah. and they're crossing into comedies. I think that'll know? be a big discussion with next the week. 40s, with the yeah, 40s, yeah, absolutely. Um, I love Abbott and Costello. Yeah, so that, again, too. Every, every episode. <laughs> Again, too, like you said, it's really the first, like, shared universe that you have. Mm-hmm. Which, like, look at the Avengers, Avengers now. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck off. Fuck off. But, you, thought uh, you, you thought you did it first? Mm-mm. So it is interesting, um, with the 30s, you do get a lot of these firsts. And I think this is really the, the only time, too, really, in history where horror does that, where everything feels like it's the same world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, even in the 80s where the franchises were huge, I don't feel that I mean, Mike you had, like, Myers... Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, but, but I don't like feel a... like Mike just, Myers yeah. lives in the same world as Freddy and Jason lives in the same... Like, to me, I feel like Mike Myers lives in where we live. Like, in our world. You know what I mean? It's, like, real. <laughs> Mike Myers is real, you guys. <laughs> Shut up. I've seen and, him. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, they all have their own universe. It's not something to be overlapped and shared except in Freddy vs. Jason, which was just fucking a m- make money <laughs> fucking quick scheme. It was a pure money. make scheme. Yeah. <laughs> Sold to us by a high school friend. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? Scheme. Like, this is the only time really in history, if you think about it, especially for horror, where you felt like they, these different movies were living in the same world. And it's funny because they didn't all take place at the same time. Mm. Like, think about, it, like, the time where Frankenstein was happening and Dracula was happening to the Invisible Man. They're not the same... They're not placed in the same times. No. But it, they had similar tones. But which is also crazy, too, because they were thing. all directed and written and everything by different people, mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, you did have that crossing over. Like, uh, I think James Whale, he did The Mummy, didn't he? Maybe. I don't remember. I didn't look that far into it. But that's the thing. Is it's like it's, it's inter- interesting, especially bringing up the fact that they were written by different people. It's like once the first movie came out, I feel like when Dracula came out, I feel like they were like, this is the standard. This is what we want. Keep it going. Dracula you know I mean? actually came out 
on Valentine's Day. And Frankenstein came out on Thanksgiving. So that's going to wrap it up for our 1930s episode. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll be talking about the 1940s, which will see the continuation of Universal movies. Um, thank we'll you. see more of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, where there's like a huge like overtake of the Universal in the 30s. They do fucking awesome in the 40s, but other film, other film companies start coming out, and you start seeing more movies from other places, and you start seeing a different, a, a huge style change too towards the end of the 40s. Yeah. So. so if you contributed a clip this week to our episode, we want to thank you. If you want to contribute a clip to one of our later decades, be sure to let us know. Um, you can contact us on social media at Horror Haven Podcast, Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast, or Twitter at Horror underscore Haven, or you can send us an email at HorrorHavenPodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to leave all your fact corrections on our iTunes reviews for Sierra. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, Sierra. Yeah. Do Pour it. Pour out. Do I it. I love it. So, have a good night. Good night. Toodaloo.